been talking, if you've been here for a few weeks, about the fact that Paul had this great desire to get to Rome. Um, He was told by God that he would get there. God has promised him that he would have a chance to speak to the people in Rome, and he has been preparing, he's been excited, and he has been stifled for over three years in this this whole journey. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed because because the gospel contains the very power of God. And when we have something that contains the very power of God, it's not something we should be ashamed of. It's something that we should be excited about. And it brings salvation. It's not just something to share that has some some cool message around it. it. It is truly a matter of life and death that brings salvation, and it brings eternal security to all those who believe. They know what will happen if you have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what will happen when this life ends. You will spend all of eternity in heaven with him. And also, it is without favoritism. He says in that verse um, that is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. This is, you know, and, and in the time where Paul is speaking, that was pretty much it. You know, the Jews referred to themselves as the Jews were God's chosen people, were very special. And anyone who's not a Jew is therefore a Gentile. So when Paul says that the message is first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, he is saying, truly, this message, this gospel of which I am not ashamed, is for everyone. There's no one that's excluded from that group. There's no one that has has been left out by God. And not only was, was Paul unashamed, Paul was excited. Paul was excited to get wherever God was going to take him and share with whoever God brought around him, whether it be a jailer, whether it be an audience of of thousands of people, whether it be the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders, no matter who it was, Paul was excited to share exactly what he had learned about God's work in his own life. Well, how do you get that way? How do you get excited about all this? Well, for, for Paul, you know, there was very little history of the Christian church. We get to look at it, look back at people like Peter and Paul and James and, you know, the, the early churches and things like that, and, it, and it's good history for us. For, for Paul, there wasn't much history to the Christian church at that point in time. But if you recall, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a student of Judaism. He was a student of what God had done before. In the lives of his chosen people, he was a student of the Old Testament. And I think as Paul is going through his life, and he's, he's going to all the places that he has been, and he is doing all the things that he is doing, I truly believe that part of the reason he is excited is because of what he knew from the Old Testament. You know, when the Jews studied the Old Testament, they studied the prophets and the law primarily. Um, and so and I, you look back at verses like this. Isaiah 54, verse 17 says... No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. So Paul looks and says, you know, there's nothing that anybody's going to be able to throw at me that's going to hinder me in all this, because this is truly from God. And no matter what anybody says to me, I'm not going to pay any attention to it, because no one's going to be able to refute what God has done in my life, and what God is continuing to do in my life. Look at Psalm 20, verses 6 through 8. It says this, For this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. 
They're brought to their knees and fall, but we will rise up and stand firm. Paul realizes that it doesn't matter what you have in this world. If you have God on your side, it doesn't matter who is against you, you're going to prevail. That God's will is always going to prevail. So with God's promises behind him, Paul has been eager to get to Rome. He's been waiting for three years. You know, I gave you the reverb verse a minute ago, which was Romans 1, verse 16. I want to back up a little bit and look at Romans 1, beginning at verse 14. It says this, and this is, again, Paul speaking, and he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul was excited about getting there, and then he says, and I'm not ashamed. I'm going to come, and I'm going to give you both barrels, folks, when I get there. Paul had history behind him. He knew about God's plan, and he was ready to get after it. He was excited, he was eager, and he was unashamed in what he was doing. So with that in mind, this morning I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 28, and we are going to pick up where we left off last week. While you're opening, we can put the map up here, I think, from where we were last week. Paul started out on this journey. He, he kind of went up the coast on the right side of the map here. He went through Myrna, he went through Rhodes, he came down here to Fair Havens, and then he got to the squiggly line. Always bad when your map has a squiggly line. That's never a good thing. And they finally got to the left side of the map. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning in Acts chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. Read along with me if you have your Bible. It says this, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. That's the little dot up there, okay? We found out the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. If you will remember from last week, if you were here, Paul has been on a ship for a number of months along with 271 other people, 101 of which are Roman soldiers. Another one of which is the uh, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and also the book of Acts. So when the we is in here, he's talk, that's Luke talking about himself and Paul. And we don't really know who the other guys were. Some were sailors, but uh, we don't know who else. There was a couple more prisoners, I believe, on the boat as well. They've been on the boat. It's been terrible weather. They've cast off everything on the boat, trying to save this ship and get it to shore safely. And just about the time... They think they're going to make it. Remember, it was dark for like 14 days, and they couldn't tell whether it was daytime, nighttime, whatever. It's been so dark and stormy. The ship's been pitched all over the place. They couldn't even eat for weeks on end because the weather was so crummy. And they finally get up one morning, and the sun breaks a little bit so they can see what's going on. And as a matter of fact, the Bible said that the soldiers were praying that they would just be able to see the the light of day, if you were with us last week. And they see that there's a sandy beach in front of them. And they say, we've made it. We're going to get there. And they aim towards the beach. And Paul says, that's great. We're not going to make it. And they say, no, no, no. You can see it right there. We've thrown everything off the ship. We're just like this little floating hull of a couple of boards holding together. We're going to make it. They get there. They see it. And boom, they hit a sandbar. The nose, the bow of the ship sticks in the sand, and the waves continue to beat on the backside of the ship, on the stern of the ship, until it breaks up into a bunch of pieces. The ones that can swim make it to shore. The ones that can't swim grab onto a piece of the boat and make it that way. And now they're on the shore of Malta. 
It's raining, it's cold, but at least it's light outside, which is the first time they've seen that in quite some time. Verse 3, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out of the heat, fastened itself to Paul's hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, that's always a good trick, you know, that catches an audience, you know, Paul liked to get an audience. When they saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off and into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly uh, fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds. And they said instead that he was a god. So they made this jump from, he must be a murderer, to, ooh, he must be a god. So they're a little bit perplexed and confused by this whole thing, but they're willing to believe that since Paul has lived from the bite of a poisonous snake, that he's an okay guy. He might even be somebody very, very special. He may even be one of the, that's God with a small g, one of the gods. So once again, God is demonstrating his power through Paul's life. And Paul doesn't even seem to think that this piece is a, is a very, you know, is a, is a real big deal. Because last week we read um, from the book, from one of the Corinthians, that this whole list of things that Paul talked about that happened to him in his life. I was shipwrecked three times, I was beaten, I was stoned, I was left for dead, and all those things. Snake bite doesn't show up in the list. So at this, this wasn't even a big deal. You know, you get bit by a poisonous snake and it's not a big deal. You've had a rough couple of years. Right, And that's where Paul is, and he is just so excited because he knows that they're getting closer to his ultimate destination, and nothing is going to stand in the way of him getting there. Somehow I have a feeling this kind of story is going to relate a little bit to uh, the elder story next week, that we're not letting anything get in our way, right? But as always in his life, people are watching Paul. And they're watching to see what his reaction is, and they're watching to see what's going to go on in his life. But what they're really seeing is what God is choosing to do through Paul. And I would say to you this morning that if you are here today and you have proclaimed yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, that there are people that are watching you as well. And so how we react, how we deal with the things that come along in our lives is important. Because just as Paul says, I am eager, I am excited to share the gospel, and I'm not going to let any of these little hindrances like getting stoned, beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked three times, bitten by poisonous snakes, none of that matters. God's got a plan, I'm going to get there, I'm going to do it. If people looked at your life, would they see the same thing that Paul had? That said, I'm not concerned about these little trivial things like beatings and snake bites. Or would they see you consumed by the circumstances of life? I know that's a hard thing to, to, to just stand up here and say. Well, it's easy for me to say, stand up here, right? But it's a hard thing to live out. But it really does. The, the way we live as Christians impacts people around us. People are watching. People are noticing exactly how we go through life and how we react to the things that, that come along. Let's pick up the story in verse 7. There was an estate nearby on this island of Malta that belonged to Publius. He was the chief official of the island, and he welcomed us, that again would be Luke and Paul, he welcomed us to his home, and he showed us generous hospitality 
for three days. Now, as I read that this week, I got to thinking, this week, as I read this yesterday, I got to thinking, <laughs> never answer your phone. I told you that last week. I didn't take my own advice. So, um, Publius is this guy. He's the head of the whole island. He's the big dog on the island. Why is he welcoming this prisoner into his house? Maybe because he doesn't see Paul as a prisoner at this point. What did the people say when he got bit by the snake and he didn't keel over dead? He must be one of the gods. See, I think in the, in the heart of this, this fellow that we know nothing else about here outside of the fact that he was the man on this little island, he desired to have a, a god close to him. He desired to have this, this person that, that very well may be a god close to him, and so he brought him right into his own home. And, and I think that is a pretty common human desire, is that we, we desire to be close to God. But that is not God's desire for the relationship with us. God's desire is not just to, to be nearby. God's desire is to inhabit us. You know, the Bible is very clear, and it says that if you come before God Almighty and say, I am a sinner, I realize that Jesus paid the price for my sins when he died on the cross, and I want to be forgiven of my sins, that you will be forgiven, and you will have the Holy Spirit indwell your life. The Holy Spirit will take up residence within you, and that's a whole different thing than being in the neighborhood. God doesn't desire to be in the neighborhood with you. God desires to be actually within you. The Bible also says that we are actually grafted into the tree of Abraham. A grafting means you can't be separated again without doing damage. So when God has a relationship with you, it is not just a neighborhood thing. It is a deep commitment of the both of you together, and you cannot be separated. Continue with the story. Verse 8, his father was sick and in bed. He was suffering from fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him and, uh, and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the, on the island came, and they were all cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with all the supplies that we needed. See, aboard the ship, if you were here with us last week, or if you want to go back and read the last chapter, chapter 27, we find that these sailors are on this ship, and these are experienced sailors, and they do everything humanly possible to get this ship safely back to shore, but it doesn't work. But Paul says, if we'll all stay on the ship together, if we all stay here together, we will be okay. The ship's toast, but we're going to be okay to the point where the sailors take the lifeboats and cut them loose and let them sail, you know, go off into the storm. And, and so here's the deal. Aboard the ship, the sailors got through everything that was humanly possible, and then they just had to listen to what God had to say. And, and here on this island, there's some sick people. And I, and I called on my resident pediatrician this week, and talk to him about how this whole thing might work on this island thing. And dysentery was a fairly common thing. And on a small island like this, it all has to do with hygiene and things like this. The odds are if one guy was sick, there was probably 
a number of guys that were sick, okay? And so we got this whole parade of people that are sick coming to this little house where this, uh, the, the kind of governor of this island lives. And it says that everyone that was sick came and they were all healed. Interesting point. The guy that's writing this, who did I say was writing this? Luke. Luke was a doctor. Luke had some skills here. But I get the picture from this story that Luke is just sitting back and saying, hey, God's doing something here. I don't need to be the doctor guy here because God is doing a work among these people. I will tell you this. I believe that when Luke and Paul and the other ones left that island, that there was an impression that was left. Not because this great, this good physician Luke came and helped all the sick people, but because God intervened and healed the people on that island to the point that when they were leaving, they were ready to give them anything they wanted. Thank you so much for bringing this to us. And as believers, I think that's what we should be doing. We need to be careful that we can be compassionate, we can be kind, we can be giving, we can do all those things, but understand that what we are really giving should be God. And we should really be be careful to to be sharing Jesus Christ, and not just meeting the needs. And I think that's what happened here. And I'm, I'm so uh, excited about what, what happens here. Yesterday was, was Angel Food Saturday. How many boxes did we pass out yesterday, Tony? Do you know? About 125 boxes of food went out yesterday. And with each one of those boxes of food went prayer. Right? And, it, and, and it's great to go to a family and say, here's a box of food that will feed a family of four for a week. Um, or feed a family of, of one for a month or however that math works. And that's really good, and it's good to provide that stuff, and it's good to do that. But, but the great thing about the angel food ministry that happens at our church, the food share ministry here, is that we're not just given food. But the people that are passing out the food are also sharing the love of God and are trying to bring the power of God into the lives of those people with which they're sharing. And that's what we need to be about. I don't know what Luke's role in this whole thing was, but it seems to me that he was more of a spectator than he was a participant and just stood back and let God work. And that's how we need to be sometimes. Continue on, verse 11 with me. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship, and if you were here last week, an Alexandrian ship would have been a ship that came from Egypt or some part of North Africa. With the figurehead of two twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Now, here is the, the deal. Why do, you know, I always wonder why, when these little things are just in there, why are they in there? It's an Egyptian ship, but it's got two heads on the front of it, and they represent two gods. Those gods are not Egyptian gods. Those gods are Greek gods. They're the twin gods. If you follow astrology or astronomy, if you follow astronomy... Gemini. These are the Gemini twins who are represented up here. And they are the gods that are supposed to protect sailors as they're out on the open sea. I'm sure that there's some guys wishing that they had had those on their boat, but that's a whole other thing because they didn't quite get that God delivered them onto this island on the boat that was wrecked. But these guys are here, and these are Egyptian sailors, but they are part of the Roman Empire to the point where they have even put the gods of this other country, this ruling country, up on the front of their boat. And that's going to become important in just a minute. Um, We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. From there we set sail and we arrived 
at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and uh, on the following day, we reached uh, Putioli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. If you look at the map, we are now up on the boot. We're Putioli. We're close. We're in suburbia of Rome. We have made it onto the right piece of ground after years, months, and terrible trauma along the way. Brothers and sisters came there. Uh, brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum and Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God, and he was encouraged. When he got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with just a soldier to guard him. We don't know who that soldier was. It's very possible that it was Julius, the centurion, who was on the boat with Paul from the time he left way down here on the right side of the map. But he's allowed to be in, this, in his home by himself. The people are showing him kindness. He's finally getting some people around him, and he's finally where he wants to be. He's been longing for this for over three years. See, Rome is the most prominent and influential city in the world, and possibly is, Rome at this time, is possibly the most influential city that has ever existed in the world. Hence, even the Egyptian sailors have Roman and Greek gods on the front of their ship. Their influence is, is worldwide. It's the economic power, the political power, the military power, as well as the most powerful of all in shaping the culture. Everything truly moved from Rome. And Paul was an apostle to the Gentile world, and now he's in the very heart of the beast. It was said in that time that all roads lead to Rome. I think Paul may have had the other side of the coin, said if I can get to Rome, all roads lead to Rome, they all lead out of Rome too. If we can impact Rome, it's going to impact the entire world. What a great perspective. Paul is right where he wants to be. He has longed to be there because he knows this is a place of impact. He's not hiding from anything. He's not ashamed of anything. He is excited about sharing the gospel. Pick up in verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against uh, our people, or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and they wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal before Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charges against my own people, and for this reason I have asked to see you and talk with you. It was because of, this, uh, because of the hope of Israel that I am bound in these chains. Paul gives him a quick history lesson as to what he's been up to. I was arrested in Jerusalem. It's been this long journey. I got nothing bad to say about the Jews, although they beat him, flogged him, threw him in jail, you know, did all these other things to him. He said, I got nothing bad to say about this because it is the hope of Israel that I want to talk to you about. See, Paul wasn't there to fight with the Jews. He wasn't there to defend himself to the Jews. Instead, he was there fighting for his people. 
He wanted them to all understand the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel was the Messiah. The, the, the hope of Israel from, from the, the time that God uh, you know, made covenant with Abraham was that there was a Messiah that was coming. That was the hope of Israel. That's what they wanted. That's what they longed for. And Paul is sitting here saying, I got no problems here. God's brought me here because I'm going to share with you the hope of Israel. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. We talked about this a little bit in Reverb last week, if, for you students that are here. It says this, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which uh, God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not concerned about this arrest stuff. This has all just been a little stuff along the way to get me to where I am today, and I have a hope. I have a hope that lies in me, so I'm forgetting what's behind me, and I am going to press on, folks. I am going to, to be straining towards what is ahead, and what is ahead is the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17 says this. Again, Paul writing to a different church, the church of Ephesus, and he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, and making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Paul has this whole deal. I got to keep focused on the goal. I don't care what's behind me. I don't care what's around me right now. My goal is to share Jesus Christ. He was very single-minded and very excited. He wanted them to understand what the Lord's will was for them. Pick up verse 21 with me in the book of Acts, chapter 28. And they replied, we, do not have, uh, we have not received any letters from Judah or Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what, it is, uh, what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect, or Christianity. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Guys, I think this is kind of a, an interesting point here. He explained to them about the kingdom of God, and then he took the law and the words of the prophets, and he told them how that pertained to Jesus. Paul's message to the law-keeping Jewish leaders, I mean, that's, if you were a Jewish leader, that's what you were about. You were about keeping the law. And his message to the law-keeping Jewish leaders was this. There is a kingdom of God, and it's a place of hope. There is a heaven, and it is a place of hope, and everyone can get there. The way to get there, the path to get there is Jesus. I don't know if he took out a napkin and drew a little, you know, two, cab, two cliffs with a little cross in between like some of us have been taught to do. I don't know what his method was in sharing all this with them, but it said he spent all day and day after day trying to persuade them. May have had flannel graph. I don't know if they had flannel back there. I don't know. But something happened and he was working at it. The reason for the hope was Jesus Christ. 
It goes on to say that some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to the people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their own ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might uh, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. That's from the book of Isaiah. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles because they will listen. So Paul says, listen, guys, you think you're special because you are the chosen people of God. You're not so special. Yes, God loves you. Yes, you are God's chosen people. But this message is for everyone. God's salvation is for everyone. So I'm going to also come and speak to the Gentiles. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I think this is probably the only time in in Paul's life that he he had two years that were without hindrance because he sort of lived in hindrance land. So what do we get to? You know, we've taken this long journey to Rome along with Paul. Does anybody seem like it's a little anticlimactic? I don't think it really is because, because it's not Paul who's at work here. It's God who's at work through Paul. And that's where he's gotten to. He's done his deal. He's forgotten what lies behind him. He's, he's pressing on towards this goal. He wants to get to Rome. He wants to t- share with as many people as possible the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he does it by saying, hey, guys, it's not about this law thing. And, you know, I think so many times as, as, as Christians, we, we kind of focus. We like rules. We focus on the rules. And if you talk to a lot of non-Christians, they say, and, and ask them, what is it about Christianity that may turn you off? And they say, well, it's just a bunch of rules. And Paul was saying, that's not it, guys. He went before the great keepers of all the laws and said, listen, the laws point towards Jesus. The prophets point towards Jesus. Your heritage points towards a Messiah. And it's about a relationship with him. God's message is exactly the same today. It's not just a bunch of rules. And if that's what you believe your Christian life is today, you need to take this lesson from Paul and say all the stuff that's going on around you is for a purpose and it's to draw you closer in a relationship with God. You don't need to be in the neighborhood with a God. You need to have the living God indwelling you. And if you do that, you are going to want to live a certain way, but it's not a list of rules They're the important part. In a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's a great adventure. With God as our guide and something incredible to share from what he has done and what he is going to do. And we don't need to fear it. We need to be excited about it. So I have a question this morning, and that is, is there a destination in your life that you're eager to get to? Is there a goal out before you? Because you can remember that 
There's no weapon that's forged against you that'll prevail. And, and God is going to refute every tongue that says something bad against you if you are standing and speaking for him. One of the great lessons of the Apostle Paul is be bold, be excited, keep on pressing on. God will get you where he says he will get you. God promised Paul over three years ago, maybe close to four years ago, that he would get to Rome. He finally got there, and he did not lose heart along the way. I don't know how many of us could say today that there, if there was a goal that was four years out in front of us, that we wouldn't lose heart along the way, especially if all the junk fell on us that fell on Paul. So are you excited this morning because you have something special that you possess in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you are going to let nothing get in the way of sharing that with the people that God has placed around you? Are you counting on God when he says, I am going to get you to the destination, you are going to get through this life, don't worry about the other things that people may want to throw at you, they are not important, they are not going to prevail against you, you're going to forget what lies behind you, and you're going to press on, and you are going to reach the goal. And the goal is to share the hope of Jesus Christ, that not only do the Jews have a Messiah, but the Gentiles have a God that cared enough about them to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for their sins so we all may have a relationship with him. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. We have an awesome heritage, so let's just start straining like Paul said, towards what's ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you this morning for your word. And I thank you this morning, Lord, for the encouragement of men like the Apostle Paul. And I thank you, Lord, for the great chance that we have to read of his life, to understand of his, uh, what, what you have done in him, Lord, and to try and take a piece of that into our own lives, Lord. I pray for everyone here this morning that knows you today, that they would find a new goal to press towards. That, Lord, they would, they would see serving you and sharing your love with others as an exciting adventure. And I pray, Lord, too, if there is someone here this morning that has been wrestling with whether or not they, they have a relationship with you and, and they have thought before that, that having a relationship with Jesus Christ is just a bunch of rules to follow, that they would understand today that that is not it at all, that you came while we were still sinners and died on a cross for us. And it's not about the rules, it's about the relationship. And I pray, Lord God, this morning that you would just use this time together that we have had today to impact our lives. In Christ's name, amen.